Put your hands together. Express worship to Jesus. Jesus, we worship you this morning. We acknowledge your spirit's here. And we just pray that he'll prompt us. He'll comfort. He'll guide. He'll teach. He'll anoint. Not just the words, but our receiving of your word today. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. As you're seated, reach out to a neighbor and say, good to see you. Good to see you. Good to be with you. Forgive me for cutting you off in the parking lot. I didn't mean it. If you're visiting, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors at Adventure. We are, big, we are actually going back to a series that we started, that we ended last week, Building a Life That Matters. And I'm so excited about today's message, but I want a teen message. So if you've got little children in here or students, I just want to give you a heads up. We're going to be talking about the bedroom this morning, okay? So just not entirely, but that'll be a portion of it. And I, uh, I want to try to save myself a lot of emails uh, tomorrow morning. So I give you that heads up, and I'll try to keep it uh, holy. How about that? Uh, While uh, you make that decision with your kids, I want to take just a moment and I want to thank two of our volunteer worship artists, Melissa Matthews and Chris Jackson. Give them a hand right now. Yep. Melissa and Chris are both both third and or second generation Christians. That means they saw their parents serving just like they do every week here at Adventure, probably at a minimum of five hours at a maximum of 20 hours a week on top of their 40 to 50 hour work jobs. A week. These are high capacity, very smart, um, very uh, prolific workers for Jesus. And I hope you get a chance to know them personally. Um, I can tell you that Melissa, I owe all that I am to Melissa. I'm married to her. That's why I would say that in case you're visiting. And I got to tell you, as it relates to Chris Jackson, he is the man whom I've trusted the most with the leadership of Adventure. He is the chair of our leadership team, what we call our leadership team chair of Adventure. And I lean on Chris to make the right decision. As the pastor, I, am, uh, I, I oversee Adventure, but actually the elders oversee Adventure, but I'm responsible for what happens. And I report to our elders, Chris leads those elders, and I'm super grateful for him. I hope that your children, parents, someday will be an answer to your prayers like Melissa and Chris are an answer to their parents' prayers. Melissa's parents still serve in Van Buren, Arkansas. Chris's parents, interesting, uh, have relocated to Colorado Springs where he went to school years ago at the Air Force Academy. And uh, his mother is now directing the, the women's ministry at his home church. And his dad has recently just been asked to join the eldership team. Isn't that a great story? Just proud of families. And my prayer is that your, your kids will see your example, and long-term, they will serve at their located ministries. They'll be engaged in the harvest, engaged serving. They will follow your example. They won't always do what you say, but there's a high probability that they will follow your example. So keep it up. Huge thanks to both of these workers. Love that I get to do life with them. All right. When, ki- when Christians get it right, this morning we are going to unwrap 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you brought your Bible and you're, you're in an area where you can see it, open it up. If you didn't, open up your smartphone and let's look at what I think are some of the most practical words to all of us, 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 4. That's spelled T-H-E-S-S-A-L-O-N-I-A-N-S. Chapter 4 is where we're going to be in the New International Version to prepare you. Can I get a battery for this? Let's move forward. So this next slide I need to see, because I can't click it right now. I need your help back there. Awesome. This study, it's a Bayside message that we put together last November. Living a God-honoring life in light of Christ's return is where we are focused this morning. I would like a battery, gentlemen. It just really helps me. I'm kind of helpless right now. Thank you again. I owe all I am to you. You saw this very week that you saw the most perhaps celebrated man on the planet this week. Why was he a celebrated man on the planet? Because he lived a God-honoring life. Really hard to, really hard to criticize him, although some, thanks, Dan. Hey, here's another great worker right here, Dan Matson-Bose. Really hard to be critical of this guy because he took steps to protect himself, his ministry, and his family. I'll talk about those in a few minutes, the Modesto Manifesto. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live and read the bold with me in order to please God. Let's say that again. In order to please God. You wouldn't be here if you wouldn't. If most of you want to live in such a way where you please God. You wouldn't be here if you wouldn't, if, if, you, if you didn't. Now, we ask instructions we gave you to do this more and more. For you know what, together, instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And so I pray that what you hear today is only under the authority of the Lord Jesus. Can we agree with that? Not my words, but his. Today, I want to field three steps that I think Paul, Jesus most... Jesus' first century Billy Graham, a God. What Paul lays out for us, three steps that will help you lead a God-honoring life. I think they're super practical and you'll enjoy them. The first one is person to be a little awkward, but look around. Most of us got here from the... Okay, we have that in common. Woody Allen really typifies our culture when he says this. I don't know the, I don't know the question, but sex is definitely the answer. I don't, I don't agree with him. We live in a hypersexualized world. Our society celebrates the process of hookup, shack up, and break. They believe that... God. Now, some of you might think, as many people do, they believe that the 21st century is so different from the 1st century. Really? Here's a couple quotes. Seneca, 1st century leader, said, Women were married to be divorced and divorced to be married. Jerome said in... My guess is he didn't have a lot of good relationships with women. Jerome said, in Rome, there was a woman who was married to her 23rd husband, and she herself was his 21st wife. They actually sound like they're ahead of us a little bit, don't they? Here's the thing about Paul's teaching, Paul's theology. Theology is the study of God. It's how we interpret and apply the Bible. Paul's theology always leads to my biology. When I give my life to Jesus Christ, I place my biology under his lordship. That's what it means. I give him my body and and the person that I am that is fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139. Paul's theology leads to biology. Let's walk through this. When I get to the bold, if you can read it with your bifocals, help me out when I get to the bold and read it with me. 
It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That means set apart. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That So all of us, single or married, have a sexual life. Should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lusts like the pagans who do not know God. Why can we have good sex? Because we know God. And that is this matter that... No one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister in Jesus. We are to treat one another in all purity, like sisters and brothers in Christ. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. Isn't this interesting? This was high in Paul's pedagogy, high in his syllabus, high in his priority, sexual sexual purity. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone, anyone, if you're here, first-time visitor, this applies to you as well, who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being. But it's not in bold, it should be. Who are you rejecting? God, according to Jesus' trusted writer, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Let me read that. Let's read that very again, that last piece. Therefore... Anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So last week, I thought Renee from Leipzig, Dresden, Germany was ridiculously amazing. Did you guys enjoy that? Wasn't that crazy? I'm ready for him to come back. For real. Here's the deal. In fact, I wanted to like, recruit him to join our team here, but I, I didn't think that'd go over so well. We, we don't need any more conflict with Germany. So here's the, here's the deal. So I, but as I, as I heard him last week, he talked about following the Spirit, living a Spirit-led life. Isn't this interesting? Paul likens living a Spirit-led life to following the Holy Spirit in the most personal area of our biology. They go together. So if you're thinking they're two different pieces, they're not. They go together. The Holy Spirit and our biology that's under his theology. Now, these are manuals of, I think, one of the best-looking, most efficient cars on the planet, the 2008 Honda Accord. My dad just bought one recently. He'll be in second service. I hope to pick on him. It's an incredible car, okay? Beautiful. Have you seen those? The lines on those, the paint, ugh. You want to touch it, but you shouldn't. The leather, if you choose to get leather, The tires are fat. It's just beautiful. It's perfect. But here's the deal. As perfect as that 2008 Honda Accord is, if if an owner does not follow the recommended maintenance that's in this authentic owner's manual, if that oil is not changed but once every 50,000 miles, if that water is not replenished and that radiator coolant not checked, If those hoses aren't checked after about 60,000 miles, it doesn't matter how beautiful, how gorgeous, how God led you to this car, she is, or he is. That car is going to blow a gasket, right? Here's the deal. God provided us his word, and his word is simply an owner's manual. And if we follow the owner's manual as it relates to our biology, we will enjoy that 1,000-year warranty on our car. So the rules are there not to punish us. The rules are there to help us enjoy it at its maximum. All right, who wants a 2008 Honda Accord with the owner's manual and is willing to follow it, right? 
How about as it relates to your, your biology? That's where we're at. Follow the owner, yeah, follow the owner's manual. That's where the win is. Billy Graham was so significant because we couldn't, in our culture, we couldn't criticize him. Now, he owned a few things that he regrets. But we couldn't criticize him in areas that were most personal. Here's why. In 1949, he and his team was in Modesto, California. How many of you know where Modesto, California is? Yeah, all right, pretty close, right? He and his team were in Modesto, California, and they came around the Modesto Manifesto. The Modesto Manifesto was a commitment to four things. Number one, financial integrity. They would always disclose where they were allocating funds. Lots of funds came in, above-reproach funds. Numerical integrity. Whenever they gave a release of how many people attended a crusade, they would, they would always be above board and be very transparent with their numbers. The third was that they would not engage in politics. If a politician came to their crusade, they would not acknowledge the politician. Okay? Those are all great practices. Number four, none of their team members would ever be alone with someone of the opposite sex, ever. At lunch, in a car, in a, in a room, in, a, in an office meeting, ever. They would always meet as a team. That may seem Puritan, but I tell you that without those four, and especially the last one, we're not celebrating the life of Billy Graham. And here's the deal. Who's going to be the next Billy Graham? I say you are. And what distinguishes you because of your commitment to purity in the bedroom? that thunder? I appreciated that. Here we go. There's two unavoidable sexual truths. Number one, sex can be greedy. We're told by Paul, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Sex can be greedy. Greedy sex is putting yourself first. Good sex is putting your spouse first. Great sex is putting God first. Is everyone following me this morning? I want to make certain everyone's up. The, the successful circle of sex is this. It was playground, and it is a playground. It's to be enjoyed. Lots of fun. But you've got to stay in the playground with that person. Second unavoidable truth is this. Sex can be hot and holy. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That doesn't mean sexual activity within the playground. Each of us should learn to control our own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not just with sex, with food and beverage, with everything. But sex is an area that really, that Jesus watches. Evidenced by this passage. Two unavoidable truths. Purity doesn't mean perfection. You can fail forward. I think we've all experienced brokenness in this area in some way. Right? I would say I have. Brokenness in some area, subway in this area. <laughs> you, you agree to the... How do you deal with that? Here's the deal. You, you, with your tongue, you, you agree to the Lord. You say, God, I agree. I, I own that. My sin was against you only that, that are on the same page with you. People that are, are, are walking the path of godliness. You, if you need to, you get yourself in an accountability group where you put, you entrust someone, the, and, you, and you're like, I, we need that sometimes. And if you really need it, and you're, and you're like, I, I don't know if I have a problem, maybe I do in this area, you go to a, a group that specializes in this. 
And the, the group that we, that we refer people to is right here on North Market, right down the street. Real Life Church has a group called Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights. I think it starts at 6 o'clock, and you show there, and you just, you don't have to say anything, but they'll welcome you, and you can get some encouragement and also perhaps get more clarity on your biology and let them encourage you. You don't have to say a word about what you're going through. Now, some of you might be saying, I don't have a problem. I've heard people say this. I only struggle about once a week. I got this. I got this. I'm in control. Once a week, it's a problem. You're in control. Let's be honest with ourselves. Once a week doesn't sound like doesn't sound like uh, you have things in control. So just be honest. And here's the deal. What's the worst case scenario? You go there and you discover, I don't have a problem. Praise the Lord, I don't. Yeah, I want to avoid it. Or you get some real help. Nothing wrong with getting help at all. I, I went to a group like this once. It was for people that ate too much, Weight Watchers. It was great for me to be there. Awesome. Just being honest to God. Hey, I struggle. I like pizza too much. Okay, here we go. The first area of victory is purity in the bedroom. How do we live a God-honoring life? Let me tell you, if you can keep pure in the bedroom, you're good to go. Seriously, life is good. No matter what happens, life is good. Okay? How's the dark people, the people in the dark space back there? Are you guys sleeping? Might seem a little low, low back there. <laughs> okay. Second is winning influence in the boardroom. You may not serve on a board, but you may have a room that is, that's high density and requires that you live a very respectful, influential life. Maybe it's your classroom. Maybe it's your cubicle island. Maybe it's your, your online space where you work from home. Maybe it's your work bay, the shop that you work in. Maybe it's just because you're retired, it's the space that you occupy in your home and in your neighborhood. How do we win fluence in the boardroom? Here's what Paul says. When I get to the bold, see if you can join me. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Isn't that beautiful? The Holy Spirit was doing that, by the way, before the writing of Scripture. The Holy Spirit does that. And, in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Let's make a commitment to be that kind of loving people that love all the Christians immediately in our area, for sure, and all the churches, okay? Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. So grow, grow, grow in love. Grow, grow, grow in love. This is an area to grow in. You want to, Paul wants you to get better in the bedroom, but he wants you to get better in the boardroom, and he wants you to do so by growing in love. Growing in love, growing in love, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I love you. All right. And now tell him, sorry, that was awkward. I know we've never met. Okay, here we go. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. Now, we don't all get to work with our hands directly, but most of us use our hands throughout the day. Just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So Paul here is trying to teach these Christians to preach the gospel with their work, not their lips. Like St. Francis of Azizi, to preach the gospel if necessary to use words. That their life earns the respect of others wherever they're working. 
There's three areas where we can win respect of others. Number one is our love life. You yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. This is the, this is the, this is the kind of love where you have to practice a high degree of empathy and relational intelligence, not to love people based on their performance, but be based on how God loved you just as you were, always. You always have to kind of like pause before you speak and take inventory and, and understand, oh, my, my Jesus loves this person deeply, even though I may be feeling like I don't. Okay? I know you've never had that experience. That's more for me. Okay, here we go. First is the love life. The second way we earn respect in the boardroom is a quiet life. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. Now, what does it mean to mind your own business? First, let's do this. The Hebrew word, avadah, which is used in the word work here, means two things. It means both work, but also worship. Our work is our worship. The early church leaders were worshiping. What did that mean? They were voluntarily serving. Chris and Melissa, Russell, James, Daniel, Greg, Dan, they're worshiping when they work. Here's the deal. You can preach a better sermon with your life than with your lips. And some of us might be tempted to have the, the Liam Neeson approach with, um, with people. Right, We go to work, and we tell them, I have a special set of skills. Right, I, I don't know who you are, but I will find you, and I will preach to you. Sometimes that can be our way to turn people off. Stop it. Number three is the daily life. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. How you handle people. How you handle sensitive, sensitive information. How you handle money. How you communicate. True story that comes from London, England, about a clerk who was sitting with the CEO of Seffields in London, this kind of Macy's-type store, and uh, the clerk got a phone call. The the caller asked for the owner, and uh, the owner said, hey, just tell him I'm out. And the clerk put the phone towards his owner and said, you tell him you're out. And the owner took the phone hung up, and just laid into his clerk. How in the world could you do that? And he looked humbly at his high-salary-earning owner, and he said, if I can lie for you, I can lie to you. We're measured and we're given respect and honor by how we do with the little things. Even things that others might approve of, we have to be very sensitive to how the Holy Spirit's leading us. This can be tough. To me, sometimes, at this point, sometimes I don't know what to do. I ask a friend, an advisor, uh, my wife, hey, what do you think of this? I'm not sure how to handle this. And I pray and I look for direction. But sometimes you're just caught on the spot. Jesus' other co-worker, Peter, said it this way. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God the day he visits. That pagans, that skeptics, will glorify God because of your character. I guarantee you there are, there are non-believers that can look at the Billy Graham family and say, wow, that's impressive. Because of his lifestyle, his commitment. Peter also said, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback, says it this way. You cannot control the lies that people speak about you, but you can control the truth. Live so that people have to make up stuff in order to accuse you. 
takes a little extra work, but uh, it makes your weekends a whole lot better. You don't have to talk about things. You're done with them because you've, you've done everything you can to protect yourself in the boardroom. So we've talked about two areas. We've talked about the bedroom. We've talked about the ballroom. The, the ballroom, no. The boardroom. Now we're going to talk about the boiler room. How do you stay encouraged in the boiler room? The boiler room is the place where there's a lot of heat, a lot of pressure, sometimes despair, sometimes a lack of hope. It's where every step that we take uh, with our spouse or if we're single in our, with our family um, or as a single, if, you're, if you don't have kids, it's every step you take amongst the pressure. The boiler ran the factories. Um, they were very critical, and they're very expensive to replace. They're like $50,000. How, how do you keep hope when the boiler goes down or when the boiler is, is, is heating you up so much it's not even funny? It's hard. How do you do it? And the key to doing this is realizing there's always hope. Melissa said it today. Who knew there would be hope for a snow day in Sacramento? There was. There's always hope no matter what you're facing, and I'm not trying to be a uh, cliché. I have friends that are really struggling with hope. Tough. Talked to a mother this very week. Doctor said, we can't do anything for your cancer. She's in her early 50s. She has two college students. Just tough. But you'll see from this passage, she's got great hope. Maybe, maybe better hope than we do. Over one-fourth of 1 Thessalonians deal with the, deals with the return of Jesus Christ. Every chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends by referencing the return of Jesus Christ. You can see where we're headed. Join me. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have. We believe that God will bring with Jesus. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Very words of one of the granddaughters this week. This passage that I just read is the reason we baptize. We'll be baptizing on Sunday, Easter Sunday, April 1st. If you've never made a decision to be baptized, this event where we dip you, hold you back here on that Sunday, because this event where we dip you, we have a tradition here, very cold water. We're trying to work on it. <laughs> when we dip you in water, it is symbolic of what we just read in the bold. Let's say it again. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. Baptism is symbolic of Christ's death, his burial, and resurrection. We dip you in the water and pull you up. Why not? Why not make this April 1st not a, a, uh, a fool's day Sunday? Make it the day you go all in and lean in close to Jesus in this area that he's commanded. If you're interested, let us know on your Connect card interested in being baptized, we'll get you information on the upcoming class. Wouldn't it be fun to have a bunch of people baptized Easter Sunday? Really? Just five of you? Come on. All right, good. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Yay! We get to go first. After that, if we're dead. We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with each other forever together. Therefore, 
encourage one another with these words. The four sources of encouragement that come from this incredible celebration event, the biggest moment of our lives, wouldn't you agree? Is that firstly, we can be encouraged because we have the revelation of God's truth. We have the truth. We have the word, the words of God. He, Paul said that this encouragement comes from the Lord's word. According to the Lord's word, we tell you. Secondly, we have a reunion. We have a secure future. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about together those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now, it's very interesting. If death has scared you in the past like it has me a little bit, just the idea of dying. Uh, Yeah, it is awkward, right? I was so encouraged by this brief word study on the word used for asleep in this passage it's derived from the Greek word koimao. It, it is the Greek word from which we derive the Greek word that from which we get our word dormitory. Now I realize you probably, if you went to college and stayed in dorm, you didn't sleep very much. But the idea is that you're sleeping. And so death, though maybe a little frightening initially, once you fall into death, it's a good night's sleep. Please, not now, but it's a good night's sleep. And then you wake up and you see the Lord. Isn't that way more encouraging? I don't know about you, but I always think like cement truck, it's going to nail me. I want to go to sleep. Okay, all right. Here we go. The Christian doctrine of resurrection. Now, this is where some of the questions uh, that you have about the second coming, we start to answer. The Christian doctrine of resurrection assures us that death is not the end. The body goes to sleep. Sleep. But the soul goes to be with the Lord, Philippians 1, 20 through 24. When the Lord returns, he will bring the soul with him, will raise the body in glory, and will unite body and soul into one being to share his glory forever. Cool. No more wrinkles, no more bifocals, no more high blood pressure, no more cholesterol, no more knee pain. Yes. Thirdly, the return. Christ will come. No doubt the greatest event in the Bible. No doubt what will be the greatest event, the greatest moment of our life. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Now, this may not seem like a hot topic, but it really is. In Christendom, this book, number one bestseller left behind, this series. This film, The Omega Code was one of the most high-grossing independent films ever. Two-thirds of Americans believe in the second coming of Christ. Can you believe that? That's crazy. Two-thirds of America. CNN did a special uh, documentary on the second coming of Jesus Christ. NBC did a special series on the second coming called Revelations. The Bible has 1,845 references in the Old Testament to the second coming of Jesus. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament refers to the second coming of Jesus. 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament refer to the second coming of Jesus, the ones who don't are only a chapter long. 216 New Testament chapters and 318 references are to the second coming of Jesus. And Christ's birth is referenced one time per every eight times his second coming is referenced in the Bible. Now, a lot of people have tried to, tried to pre- make predictions about the second coming, and so they've written books, 
88 reasons why the rapture will be here in 1988. It's really awkward in 1989 when it comes. One church group uh, in the United States uh, most recently believed that Jesus was coming back and that he had, um, he had prepared that the world was coming to an end and that the world's arsenal was all being stocked under Kmarts throughout the country. Just, that's right. Paul says this, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and duties, we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. We don't know. It's going to come like a thief in the night. Jesus himself doesn't know. So when it comes to the second coming, don't panic or predict. Don't produce division or conflict. But encourage one another with these words. This is how we get through the boiler room when life gets really tough. There's hope now. Our God is the God of all hope. But there's hope in the future. There's hope in the future. Future hope. Don't panic. Don't predict. Don't produce division or conflict. Be prepared. Be prepared. C.S. Lewis says this about having a heaven-mindedness. This is what he said. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. They were heavenly-minded. You ever hear that line? You're too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good? It's not true. If you're truly heavenly-minded, you'll be of great earthly good. It is since Christians, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective at this. And so what I want to do this morning is take a moment and ask you to be heavenly minded. I want to take a moment and tell you that God is doing, by His Spirit, special things here at Adventure. Our church is growing. We're baptizing people. We had recently, we've added four new staff members at Adventure. Uh, We promoted one and added three. Two are full-time, two are part-time. We're seeing our attendance go up significantly just in the last two months. Uh, And I don't like to give numbers like that because I think it can be braggadocious, so I won't give the exact numbers, but they're great. And... We have stayed under budget by 10% as of January, and we're adding new staff in our budget. And one of the true marks of an adventurer here are people that call adventure their home is that they give generously. It is the reason we're here in year 15. Adventurers give generously. It's it's crazy, Uh, the kind of generosity that comes from adventurers here. It's really encouraging. And uh, I don't see it, but I get the hard number. I don't see people's giving here. I haven't for 15 years. It's been very, very good to me. To the next step as we grow. Really. Thank you. I want to thank you for giving extravagantly to adventure. Really. Thank you for trusting God with your giving. Thank you for trusting God. Thank you for trusting Him. Whether you're a student or you're midlife with kids or you're, you're getting gray, or you're fully gray. And if you're dying, you're gray, you're still gray. Forward. <laughs> I want to ask you as we move forward to follow the Spirit, to continue passionately, generously. We've hired staff that, are not only, that not only work passionately, they themselves give generously. We've hired staff that give very generously. So I'm told. 
I want to ask you to consider this. Here's, here's the reason I go here. I'm told by the Apostle Paul that my job is to encourage you. And here's what Paul tells me. Command those certain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for enjoyment. Who provides our enjoyment? God. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I want to encourage you to move towards being a generous giver of what God's entrusted you. And you may read that and think, I'm not rich. (laughs) He's not talking to me. (laughs) Here's the deal. If you can survive in California, you're rich (laughs) financially. Okay? There may be a few regions where I say any state, any place in California, any county, if you can live here, you're rich. I want to I challenge you to move to the next level. For some of you, I want to challenge you to, for the first time, start giving. How do you do that? And I realize this is awkward, but realize I don't know who I'm talking to here, okay? So I don't know if, if, if this pertains to anyone here. What you do is replace one purchase with a gift. So you downsize on your, your cable bill, or you downsize on, ma- on magazine subscriptions, or even online subscriptions, or you downsize on, uh, maybe you don't buy a new car, you go used. Uh, you, you just downsize a little bit. You just click one down, take the toggle switch, click one down, and you click your giving up. And I want to challenge you to do that systematically. Put it on push pay, go online to our website, get it on there. Here's why. I think there's tremendous blessing for you in this life and in the life to come. I don't worry about money, personally. Is that true, Melissa? Uh, we'll go with yes. <laughs> we, we got a little IRS note yesterday, like, what? Evidently, we made a mistake last year. Oh, okay. I thought we were in this year. But it's the Lord's. What I have is the Lord's. I'm trusting Him. Because I think I could have tons of money and not enjoy life. I want to enjoy it. So I want to challenge you to, to help us a little bit more as we've stayed within budget, but we're bringing on new staff. So the way we're going to do this is I'm going to challenge you to help kickstart us on Easter Sunday. On Easter Sunday, we're going to give you a chance to start giving for the first time or increase your giving. And if you are, uh, if you're, if you're like giving generously, okay, whatever that looks like for you, I want you to give generously and I want you to give, there's another word, I heard it. I think I heard it again. Give generously and, does anyone want to throw it in? Cheerfully, that's it. I want it to be a joy. <laughs> okay? Might hurt a little bit, but pull the smile back. I want it to be a joy. Because you know Jesus is the one that gives us everything. I believe that. I know that sounds naive. Everything comes from him. So use Easter Sunday as maybe a first-time gift or a chance to step it up a little bit. Maybe you move up a percent. Even though you may be at the goal percent for you, move up a percent. My friend challenged me to do this, and it's been good so far. Okay, all right. Let's take a minute and just pray about that. Heavenly Father, if you're with someone here that uh, you need to have a conversation with about that kickstart Sunday, take their hand right now. And if you don't want to take their hand, let them take yours. Heavenly Father, you've commanded us to be generous. 
We're so lucky to live in this state. A cold winter for us is one day when it gets into the 30s. And uh, things are expensive here. And generosity for all of us is a different. It looks differently. Would you just tell us what you want us to do? And would you give us the grace to do it and trust you as the manager of our family? In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. All right. We good with that? Put your hands together. We good? All right. Some of you, if you're visiting, you might think, oh, my word. Is this, did they talk about money all the time? The last time I talked about money, February 2016. It's been a while. Here we go. The resurrection is the greatest event in the world. I will live forever. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Here are the steps to a God-honoring life. Here's where we've been. The resurrection is that day when I get a new body. The resurrection is that day when I get to live not only past being a centurion, for sure. According to the scripture, I live forever and ever and ever. Crazy. I get to bug my wife forever. I get to be with my friends. I get to see my grandpa. I just found out very recently my grandfather was buried by Earl and Bill Johnson in Reading, the founding pastor, or one of the pastors of Bethel Church. I had no idea my grandfather was a member there. I hope I get to see him in heaven. I've never even met him. He died after when I was five. That's exciting to me. It's the reason why we're here. It's the reason why we serve. How do we live a God-honoring life? One of these three may resonate to you. Is he speaking to you in the bedroom? Is he speaking to you in the boardroom? Is he speaking to you in the boiler room this morning?